Oh, we like your beard. There's one blonde hair for every church member, and I use it as a reminder that you gave them to me. Uh, We are really glad to be home. Seriously, we had a wonderful, wonderful getaway. Last time I was with you is about five or six weeks ago. We talked about what the Bible has to say about the rhythm of work and rest. And uh, if you're like me, you're probably a, you may not be a workaholic, but you work a lot. Life is busy and complicated. And uh, I became convicted that I don't take time to rest as I should. And uh, I'm thrilled to say that that's exactly what we did the last uh, uh, five weeks. And it's the first time in my life I've ever had that much time just to stop and rest and allow myself to be refreshed and rekindled at a deep level. But uh, I just, with my wife, want to say thanks for encouraging us to go and supporting us. And uh, the church just seemed real strong when, uh, when we're back. Uh, last night was a great service, Sunday morning, the first one. And uh, the worship this morning has been great. But, you know, we, well, we went to Colorado, three weeks in Colorado, Lake City, Breckenridge, Colorado Springs, and then uh, picked up the kids and spent some time in, uh, in Arkansas on a river. But it was great, but it was real good to come home. And if I could say this just on a serious note, uh, this is our home. We've lived here almost 23 years. Uh, We like being here. God's called us to be here. We love you. And uh, we like it here, and we love you, and this is our home. And uh, we hope God will give us another 10 or 15 years to be healthy and strong and provide good good spiritual leadership in our church. But I love you. And I want to say a special thanks to uh, Pastor Mike and our leadership team, our staff, our elders, our board members for the great job that they did in our absence. Why don't you give them a, a big hand today? Appreciate it very, very much. Psalm 46.10 is where I want to... Uh, begin this morning. It's probably a scripture that, as well as any, summarizes what, what God allowed us to experience. Psalm 46.10, it says, Be still, say it with me, and know that I am God. I'll be exalted in the earth. Now, that's a very simple but a profound scripture in a very busy world. It's hard to be still. It's hard to just stop. It's hard to disconnect. It's hard to lay things aside. Uh, it's hard to, to, to just allow yourself to come to a place where God can speak to you and allow you to be refreshed and allow you to have some direction in your life. And what I'd like to do this morning is a little different type of a message. I'd like to basically share with you this morning some experiences we had because what I found out is that if I am still, I will know some deeper things in God. And I'd like to share with you from some experiences, four different experiences we had, what God showed me. And uh, hopefully, not only will it be just informational to you, but it will speak to you because it's all very practical. I want to share with you some things this morning about what God spoke to me about America, about our nation. I want to share with you a personal thought about worry. Anybody ever have a struggle with worry? Yeah, I got about two-thirds honest people. And uh, I want to talk about priorities, some things that the Lord spoke to me about. But if I could share this before I begin, one of the greatest things that, uh, that happened was I, my relationship with my wife deepened. And uh, we have been married almost 30 years. And the first few weeks, it was just the two of us. And, uh, you know, we have a good marriage, but we were kind of on a plateau uh, I mean, no, a plateau is better than going down. Uh, we didn't have hands around necks or anything like that, but we were just kind of in a, a routine. And I had gone to a married, couple of marriage seminars, and they were good, but, but this was different, just allowing yourself to, to focus uh, on the one that you love and gave your life to. And that was a wonderful thing, and she's an awesome woman. God bless you, honey. I do, I do love you. Great example. 
But let's begin. I want you to look in your Bibles this morning, Psalm 33, and just hang on there just a minute. I want to share the first lesson that, that, that God uh, impressed upon me was about our nation, America. I learned that America's in trouble. Now, I knew that before I left, okay? But in a deeper way, it's as if the Holy Spirit imprinted something on me. You know, all of us hopefully are involved in the, the dialogue beyond just the TV commercials and the blips about upcoming election, but about the values that will drive our future. We all know our nation is in trouble. Uh, I'm fully convinced, though, that the, our nation's in trouble and our solution won't be found just in an election. Our solution will be found when the nation returns to God. Because that's what God really impressed upon me, how far we've drifted from the God of the Bible and the ways of old that made America great. You know, there's a reason America is indeed the greatest nation on the earth. We're certainly not perfect, but we're nothing to apologize about. Listen, the world wants to come to America. The greatest nation literally in many respects in the history of the world, and it's because of the goodness of God. Now, we'll talk about that, why I say that. But this was impressed on me when we were in Santa Fe, New Mexico. We left here, we took uh, the road from Decab, Wichita Falls, spent the night in Amarillo, and then uh, spent a couple days in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Now, have you ever been there? How many have been to Santa Fe? Beautiful place, isn't it? I mean, southwestern feel. It feels kind of secular to me. You, you know, you sense the kind of liberal bias in the area. But we went to the downtown area, beautiful square down there, and they had all the Indians that were selling the jewelry. And I, there, was a, uh, there was a museum there. It was called the Palace of the Governors. And it talked about all the history of, of that city uh, of that, and, and all those that had been in, in office there. But it was interesting. As I read about the history there, I, I read this phrase that the, the city of Santa Fe was occupied or founded first by the Pueblo Indians between 1050 and 1150 C.E. When I went to school, we learned that time was not divided by BCE and CE. It was BC before Christ and AD, a Latin term, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. But for some reason, the secular folks in America want to get rid of AD because even the thought of in the year of our Lord, some people find offensive. So the common era, CE, replaced in the year of our Lord. I mean, think about that. That's exactly what your kids read in public schools today. That secular spirit that dominates America that has been doing its best to erase and eradicate every memory of God from the minds not only of our, our lives but from our children to somehow sanitize America from her Christian influence, from her godly heritage. I must disagree with my president when he says America is not a Christian nation. Though we are a nation that welcomes all religions, that if there's a freedom to worship any God or no God here, America undeniably is a Christian nation. From our history to the walls of our great buildings in Congress, over there, over the, if you look at the Speaker of the House, you know, in God we trust. I mean, the Ten Commandments in our Supreme Court. Well, all this is in America's history, but we've been expunging God from history for quite a while. Uh, I read a book by David Barton that impacted me because this is not just some thing stuck in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, it's, it's all around us. A state employee in Minnesota was barred from parking their car in a state parking lot because they had a religious sticker on the bumper. Church sticker, Jesus sticker, you cannot park here. A five-year-old kindergarten student 
Think about how tender that little child is. Was forbidden to say a prayer over her lunch and scolded by a teacher from doing so. Right now in the UN, they're trying to take away more of your rights as a parent. It's as if, well, really, if you really push this to the edge, you don't, quote, own your children. The state does. And a mom and a dad taught the child to pray, and the school said you can't do that. A military honor guardsman at a funeral, he was removed from his position for, because he said, God bless you and this family, and God bless the United States of America when he presented a folded flag to a family during a military funeral. He lost his position. Senior citizens at a community center in Texas were prohibited from praying over their own meals. A library employee in Kentucky was barred from wearing her necklace because it had a small cross on it. Now, you can wear a cross or a T-shirt that gives somebody the finger that says whatever it wants to, has any vile thing on it, but if you put a cross on it, it's not accepted because it's offensive. I find it offensive that my rights are trampled as a Christian. Our First Amendment guarantees us the freedom from religion. A freedom from religion. Our First Amendment guarantees us the freedom of religion. And our government is supposed to protect our freedom, not take it away from us. But the secular spirit is very much at work. A college student in Wisconsin was prohibited from holding Bible studies in their own private dorm rooms. A third grader in Maine wore a T-shirt containing the words, Jesus Christ was required to turn the shirt inside out so its words could not be seen. Now, that's just a little bit about America today. Everybody knows our nation is in trouble. Now, listen to where I'm going. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows the economy is in trouble. But the solution of... And, but we see the solutions very differently. Many people believe that we can fix our economy if we just give more stimulus, create more funny money, borrow more money, and devalue the dollar. You're wondering why things cost so much more today. It's because they're printing all this funny money over the last few years, and it's just dissipating the value of what you own. They're destroying our currency, and that's the only solution they have, rather than humbling themselves before God, come on, and saying, God, would you forgive the sins of our nation? Would you forgive us for what we've done? We take responsibility. Come on. And I hope you pray for those that are in civil authority. The Bible tells us to pray for those in authority that we might live a quiet and peaceable life. But listen, we know our nation is in trouble. We look at how unpredictable the weather has become. I mean, we've had a week of rain in the middle of July. More to come, probably. But there's a 1,000 counties in America and 26 states that are drought areas. I mean, it's like the weather is upside down and the response of the world is... It's man-made or caused by man-made global warming. In other words, you're driving your car, and the ludicrous solution is if you'll just get out of your car and walk, then it'll go away. I mean, we live in a world today where, 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 where trouble is everywhere. Violence. The mayor of Chicago has come under scrutiny now. I believe it's over 300 people that have been murdered on the streets of Chicago in the first six months of this year. Just this week, he's addressing gang members, asking them to get some values and not shoot each other in the presence of children because they're killing children. We have a problem in our nation. Perhaps the issue is because we've taken off the walls of the schools, the Ten Commandments, one of which, thou shalt not murder. And we've reaped the whirlwind. See, the solutions are different. What I suggest to you is the solution to America's problems are found first and foremost in a nation humbling herself before God, acknowledging our sins, asking God to forgive us, and inviting His presence back in our corporate culture. 
Now, that, my friend, is, is, is America. Now, how do, why do you say that? A very simple verse, Psalm 33, 12. It says, blessed is the nation. Say it with me. And conversely, the nation will not be blessed if the God of the Bible is not their Lord. In other words, if you want to worship no God or Allah or be idolatrous or whatever the case is, God will remove His blessing. His blessing is His protection. His blessing is His provision. His blessing is His kindness. His blessing is His goodness that outpours. Listen, God is a good God. But when you offend God, when you have no fear of God and refuse to obey His commandments, the consequences are what we're seeing all around us. And we're just used to it. But I suggest to you, we're living in a day where God is removing or has removed much of His covering of grace over our nation because of the sins of the people. And it's not just the sins of those guys out there. It starts in the church house. I mean, the Bible says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, if they'll seek his face, turn from their wicked ways, God will hear from heaven and God will heal our land. So when we, when I say returning to God, listen, I'm talking about people who fear God, which is respect enough to obey his commandments. Now, I was deeply influenced by several books that I read, and I want to share these just with you briefly. Uh, I hope you're a reader. Uh, the first one is called The Harbinger. I had several preachers tell me about this. It was written by a, a, a Jewish rabbi, a Christian, um, converted Jew, and, 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 and it's a prophetic picture, an explanation of what's been happening in America since 9-11. And I can tell you, it's profound. It is profound. It contextualizes what's going on in America and helps us understand how God has basically removed His hand of grace, hence the 9-11, the terrorism, the economic collapse, all these different things. And you'll be amazed how it references the Bible and the parallels between ancient Israel and America today. That, that motivated me. It was a book I couldn't put down. Usually if I read a book, the first two ch chapter, two chapters, I know what he's saying, I'm ready to go. I couldn't put this one down. That was a great one. Another one that was really good called The Jefferson Lies by David Barton. What this showed me is how modern historians, secular historians, have changed history by omitting or basically just uh, portraying a godless agenda, turning A.D. into C.E., now, the Jefferson lies, if I were to ask you what you know about Thomas Jefferson, more than likely there's some things that you picked up. Uh, he had a child from, uh, from one of his slaves. He was a slave owner, and uh, he did these things because he advocated slavery. And there's this whole picture that undermines the Christian man that he was. Fifty pages, fifty pages of historical footnotes, of references to original documents, and you see a whole different man. And here's what this showed me. Our world has changed because those that are teaching us what's supposed to be true, be it in education, be it in the media. Uh, if you watched, uh, I didn't see the movie, but several years ago, a movie about Christopher Columbus. I heard it was portrayed him as a vile man who just came to America to pillage the nation. But yet, if you read his diaries, if you understood the true history, you would know that Christopher Columbus was a man that believed Jesus himself sent him to the new world. So there's been, there's been a, an expunging of Christ. And now people, good-meaning people, good-intentioned people, just have no knowledge of what truth is. But here's the third one, and I'm going to move on. It's called Indivisible. It sat on my dresser for probably a month because I was too busy. I, this was one of the most life-changing books I've ever read in my life. And I don't get a penny from it. I, there, I have no reason to, to say that other than I think this has a potential to change your life and change every American's life. 
What it is, basically, it's written by uh, James Robinson and a partner, Jay Richards, two very godly Christian men. You know James Robinson, evangelist, uh, television show, great feeding ministry for the poor. What they do, basically, is all the issues that you're hearing about in our culture, all the issues that they're talking about in terms of the politics and elections and all these things, everything from immigration to same-sex marriage to children being raised in, in, in godly homes to the very concept of our freedoms, to the ideas of, of how big government should be and what's the legitimate role of government. And one of my favorite parts, one of the best chapters I ever read on capitalism and wealth producing in my life, it talked about socialism and the difference between what we enjoy, have enjoyed here in America and where much and some in power are trying to lead us. I was so moved by this, I told Pat to order three cases of them. Uh, we'll sell some and given a, a lot of them, just loaning them out. Hopefully you'll read it because my hope is that every person in our church will read this over the next few months. There's a few left uh, in, in the, in the uh, foyer. You can pick one up. You can just loan it, sign your email, and get it back, and we'll give it to somebody else. But all three of these books basically came across with the same message, and it was not a setup. I believe God led me to read these books. America's in trouble, and our solution is to return to God. Yes. And listen, the responsibility for that turning falls with us as Christians. It is our responsibility to live it and to tell it. Now, how many know that if the, the what would, who would you say are the four greatest leaders of the New Testament? Would you say John the Baptist, Jesus, Peter, and Paul? You know they all shared a common message. Put John the Baptist on the screen. When John the Baptist started his public ministry, and some scholars believe that John the Baptist baptized hundreds of thousands of people in the Jordan River. This man set the stage for Christ. Here was his first message when he began preaching. This was his message. Notice what it says. Say it with me. Now, what does that mean? Repent means to turn around. I was so proud of little Brittany when she said today, dedicating that little baby, I want to do what's right. Come on. What she's saying is, like everybody in this room, I want to turn my life from the way I was going, and I want to begin to follow God. Now, but the next phrase, repent of what? Of your sins. And America has no concept of sin because we've called wrong right and right wrong for so long, we have forgotten it. But you know, John the Baptist wasn't the only person that had this message. Your Savior, Jesus Christ. Put his words on the screen. Jesus began to preach. Matthew 4, when he started his ministry, say it with me. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Might we, uh, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preach the word repentance, turning. Paul the apostle, the same thing wherever he went, called people to not just feel better about God, not just shake the preacher's hand, but have a turnaround in life and begin to follow the God of the Bible. Come on, how many know that's what we need in America? The fear of God, it leads us to the obedience of His commandments, and it's our responsibility to live it and to proclaim it. And I stand before you today as your pastor, that is my intent. In the pulpit of this church and whatever vehicles that we're allowed to speak on as a church, I'm going to do that, and I ask you to do the same thing with me in your sphere of influence. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Let me give you a second lesson that's very, very personal. And it's, it's, it's simple, but let me know it's the simple things that are profound. I learned to trust again. What do you mean? I'm talking about worry. I learned that my life is in God's hands. And God is big enough to take care of me. 
Now, let me tell you how this happened. Again, this message is sharing some stories with you that were real. We, uh, we got back from, from Colorado and uh, came home, picked up Rebecca at cheer camp, uh, went to our house for a day and then off to the rivers of Arkansas. And normally when we drive up and on our, to our home, there's this little furry little guy about this tall, little, uh, little uh, homeless shelter dog, not homeless shelter, what would you call it? Uh, dog pound dog, Tucker. He runs up and, you know, he basically wants to know where you've been and I'm glad you're home and, and give me a little hug here. Well, we got up and there was no Tucker. Now, we've got electric fence around our, 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 where he can run around in. It works real good, but the problem is somehow his collar came off and he was not there. And that's compounded by the fact that Rebecca had two little dogs. It's my daughter's dog. Had two little dogs get killed in the last probably 18 months. So your dog is, dog is missing again. How I many you know that's a problem? When we get home, obviously I do what you do as we prayed about it. <laughs> no change. I said, well, honey, let's wait maybe the end of the day when it gets cool, because it was 105 that day, and uh, let's, uh, maybe Tucker will be moving around. So we get in the truck that evening, and uh, we're doing the fateful drive around the neighborhood. You know, you're thinking in the back of your mind, well, you know, is he laying on the road? Where, where is the doggy? But anyway, we prayed, asking God to bring the little doggy home. And in the middle of our prayer, while we're holding hands, the phone rings. And Rebecca says, it's about Tucker. And it was our neighbor, and she said six houses down, she says, Tucker's in my garage if you want to come get him. Now, that's great. Real nice little story there. Everything is perfect. But here's what the Holy Spirit told me. I know all the details of your life, and I care about you. And it was a God moment for me. Now, I don't mean I heard voices from, you know, I mean in the depth of my heart, in my soul, in my spirit. It was just like God was just giving me some reassurance. Because I wasn't just, it, when it wasn't just about Tucker. See, when I left here, I said, I'm not, and, and you can ask Linnell, we didn't talk any church stuff. I mean, I love you, but I tried to forget about you for a while, okay? <laughs> I didn't go away and vision cast and blah, 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 you know. I didn't do all that. I just wanted to forget about you so I could just be me again and be me with her and then come back and be a better me for you, hopefully. Yes, yes. And we did that, but, but there was something that I couldn't get rid of. You don't worry, do you? I had something that would haunt my dreams. Any business what it is. I had something that would, that would, would greet me in the morning when I waked up, woke, woke up. It just lingered with me. And I'd wrestle with God in it. And uh, it was just there. Now, how many know just knowing that worry is not a good thing and that God said you don't have to, that's not enough. And the more you think about it, the worse it gets. Come on. And, and before you know it, you know, the dog is dead already and you're going to see him in the mailbox. I mean, I mean but, but, but the Holy Spirit just somehow let me know that he's with me. But it didn't just happen automatically, and I think this is very important. It, the God moment happened when I prayed. And this is what I want to communicate to you. All of us need these times where God moments can happen. Coming to church today, worship was an opportunity for a God moment. Time for prayer, middle of the service, end of the service, time for a God moment. When you open your Bible in the morning, in the evening, when you turn your radio off and you're driving in your car, it's an opportunity for a God moment for God just to say, I'm there. Do you remember the disciples? They're in a boat with Jesus. You remember the story? And, they're on, and they've been ministering. Jesus is tired. He's sleeping. And a storm, a furious storm comes up. 
Now listen to this application here because what, when we were gone, five funerals in our church, that's a lot of pain. Five funerals, people are dealing with crises that I just don't know how they're handling. They're in a boat and a furious storm comes on them with no explanation and no reason and Jesus is sleeping and the disciples, all they say is, hey look, in case you didn't know this, we're going to die. And he wakes up and he rebukes the wind, and it dies down, and the storm stops. And then he looks at them and says, Oh, you of little faith, why are you doubting? Why are you worrying? Why are you allowing fear to come in? And the disciples went, Who is this man? And I suggest to you they had a God moment in the middle of the storm. See, when you allow yourself those opportunities for God to draw near to you. And let me say this, the greater your struggle and problem is, the more chance you need to make for a God opportunity, for God to give you peace instead of your worry. Because when you learn to, these God moments come to you in small things, how many know they prepare you for the bigger things in life? When we were uh, finishing our, our, our little vacation, my son had gone, my mom had gone, and the girls had been uh, tubing down the White River. Anyone ever been on the White River? 60 degrees. It is cold. I don't know how they were riding in those inner tubes down that river, but they're, you know, more of a man than I am. <laughs> anyway, you had to drive them up several miles so they could come down the river, and, and, and then they'd drop off at the cabin. And uh, anyway, I drop them off, and I get home, and just at the time I'm coming home, this storm breaks loose. I want to tell you what, it is rocking and rolling. It is wind blowing sideways. Lightning is filling the sky. Thunder is everywhere. And my wife and my little baby are on the river on two rubber dinner tubes. <laughs> I didn't have any fear. Amen. And I wasn't worried because it wasn't just about Tucker and the prayer. Somehow God had given me some reassurance that he's involved in my life and he knows what's going on. He knows where Tucker is. He knows where Linnell is. He knows where Rebecca is. And, he, and we're in the palm of his hand. Now, in this case, I didn't get a phone call from Tucker. They didn't have a cell phone. In this case, the storm kept rolling. And I did everything I knew to do. I turned around and I found a road that would take me to the river, uh, you know, I mean, we'd gone down it several times. There were some houses. I knew it was a road. I went down there. As soon as I got close to the river, out of my truck, raining, my poor little umbrella. You owe me an umbrella, by the way. <laughs> I, my umbrella just broke in my hand. The wind is blowing, you know, so strong. So here I'm riding with a, uh, doing with an umbrella that's blown upside down. Look at the river. No Linnell and no Rebecca. But no worry. And I went down a couple, to a couple more houses where I could see down the river at a little different angle. And I knocked on the door of that house. I knew there was a car there. I didn't want to just, you know, kind of show up in their backyard. And I said, can I look for my wife? She and my daughter are on the river in the storm, and it's still raging. And she said, well, sure you can. I'll get my husband to help. And I'm going out the back door to look down the river, and she starts saying, he's got a boat, and he'll take you, and he'll find her. And God led me to a professional fisherman that fished that river for a living. as all he did. And that man treated us, I, I can't tell you how nice they treated us. They pick us up in this boat. He takes us to the boat ramp, and uh, it's raining cats and dogs still. We get in the boat. We're going down. I finally see these two hands waving and these two little wet rats on the, on the side of the bank there. And uh, we pick them up. But then he, you know, he gives us raincoats, and we get in his house, and his wife gives us tea, and they're putting dry clothes and towels and blankets. And, and, and it was just like God saying... I know what's going on in your life. And let me tell you, friend, the same God 
that cared about little Tucker and that cared about two little girls on a life raft cares about you. And you can learn to trust again when those God moments, when you make a place for God and He gives you that reassurance. He may make the storm go away or He may just guide you through the storm. But He said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, but I'm always with you. Come on, even to the end of the world. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God. He cares for you. That's the New Living Translation. I'd write that down. If you're in a place of worry, if it, I mean, if the Bible says to do it, then it's possible. Let me give you another one here. We're wrapping up. Luke chapter 12. This third thing I learned, and I learned how to live my life. You say, well, I know how to live my life. Yeah, well, I thought I did too, but I went a little deeper with it. Now, this is about our priorities, and, and I learned in a fresh way it's more important to live for God than myself. It's more important to live for eternity than just for today. Now, let me explain this with a, a couple, two couples that I met. First couple in, in Breckenridge. Breckenridge was a very different from Lake City. Lake City was just, we were in the, the boonies. A friend had us a little cabin we could use, and it was just us. And, but Breckenridge is, you know, a real developed area. and had real nice restaurants in it. And one night we're at dinner, a very nice restaurant. And, but the tables are real close, so you can hear all the conversations around you. I mean, you don't have to be an eavesdropper. They're just there. All you have to do is just be still, and you can listen and just hear what people are saying. And I was two couples. Only one couple did the talking. And uh, for about 20, 30 minutes or so, all they did was talk about themselves. Now, I met and saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people on my trip, but this couple stood out, and, and, and stay with me on this. They talked about themselves, the whole conversation. You could tell they were about 50. Uh, I learned they were semi-retired. It was very clear. They were very successful. They, had, they, had, they were very wealthy people. Uh, they talked about all the houses they had across the country. Uh, they talked about a $1,000 dinner that they were a little disappointed that it cost so much. I thought, well, duh. But, but anyway, and, 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 but the issue was not that they were wealthy. The issue is they were arrogant and self-centered and had a self-righteousness about them, and the world revolved around them. Now, let me make this point, because this is all around you in this, quote, political season. We're being taught to separate ourselves based on class, and, and, and they're trying to make you and I envious of people that have more than we happen to have. They're bad people. And, 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 and the government, for whatever reason, it's like there's a, there's a push in our nation today to make all of us the same. That's what communism and socialism is. The same outcome. You know, rather than the opportunities that created American exceptionalism and the individual and rewarding hard work like the Bible talks about, make all of us the same. Well, let me tell you this. The only thing, that, the way that the government can make all of us the same is make all of us poor because it doesn't have an ability to make you wealthy. Come on. But I want you to be wealthy. I want you to be successful. But I don't want you to be arrogant, come on, and self-centered and, and self-righteous. And it's all about me. But to see what God's given you as a way to build his kingdom. Now, here's the second couple, and then I'll share what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Second couple was the missionaries that Linnell talked about in, uh, in uh, Colorado Springs. Again, now they were a very successful couple. They had come. Their family uh, was, was a wealthy family. Uh, they had businesses. You could tell they had a nice house. They had nice cars. But unlike the Breckenridge couple, that uh, uh, they had given their life to serve the Lord. 
Because here's what the whole thing was about. Um, they took us to a shopping center that they had built. Now, wouldn't it be cool to have a shopping center? I mean, it was a nice one, too. I mean, and it was just about full. And they said, yeah, this is what we're hoping is going to generate enough money to fund our missions work in Mexico. Now, listen, 20 to 25 trips a year to some of the poorest people in the Western Hemisphere. You realize the, the Ch- in Chiapas, the Chimula Indians, 25, 30 years ago, Christianity Today said they were the most violent people group in the Western Hemisphere, non-Christian, pagan, and unreached people group. Today, they told me, the missionaries told me, that people believe, missiologists believe, that so perhaps as high as 40% now are evangelical Christians. And, and they have given... I can't tell you what it's like. These people live in thatched houses and barefoot, love God, but the whole village gets saved. I mean, you know, it's a tremendous thing. And they've given their lives to take 20 to 25 trips a year to go down there to take teams to do ministry to build churches. Now, after I left the couple in Colorado on the day of the fires, by the way, we left Tuesday morning when they started evacuating Tuesday evening. Somewhere, leaving them, the Holy Spirit brought both these couples to mind. And here's what he said. Which couple do you want to be like? Do you want to be like the one whose life was all about themselves and they live for themselves? Or do you want to be like the couple who had given their life to serve me? And I've blessed them because of that. And now their lives are making a difference for all eternity. Let me give you a scripture. You know this, it's Luke chapter 12, Jesus' comment about this, because again, this is not about money. This is not about how much you have. It's about your heart and your priority and what's important to you. It's about, are you living for yourself or am I living for God? Look at verse 15. Beware, Jesus said, guard against every kind of... Now say this with me. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now, let's be very clear. Things are not bad. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6 that God gives us wealth and things to enjoy. But He doesn't want us to just use it all on ourselves. He wants us to be a vehicle to meet our needs, to enjoy it, but to be a channel of blessing. Now, here's the story Jesus said. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? Stop right there. When you're blessed, the question to asking not just yourself as you look into mirror, mirror on the wall... But the question to ask God is, what should I do? But the man had no conversation with God. He he talked to himself. Verse 18, he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Verse 19, now take it easy. This is what he said. Eat, drink, and be merry. But verse 20, God said, you fool. You're going to die this very night, and then who will get everything you work for? I'll tell you. The lawyer and the guy who marries your wife, that's who's going to get it, and your kids. I mean, you slave your whole life away, and that's who's going to get it. Just in case you hadn't thought that far yet. Verse 21, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Which couple do you want to be like? See, here's something I know. Every one of us has been called to serve God. Your calling as a Christian is not just to come to church. Now, thank God you come to church. But the Bible says what's supposed to happen here is is those in Christian vocational ministry are supposed to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You know our mission statement of our church, very simple, is to connect people to 
Stop. Ministry and the world. Ministry is your place of service to God. And God has shaped and fashioned every person in this room with gifts. One of the best leaders I've ever seen with this JBQ is Jennifer. It's a Bible quiz that we do with our kids. And she just has a knack for it. I mean, she's good at it. That's her niche. Uh, we've got people that, uh, that feed in the homeless shelter. Now, I care about the homeless, and I'll go every once in a while. But, man, we've got people that are right now. That's their niche. You know, you see some of the friendliest people in Texarkana as ushers and as greeters. That's their niche. Well, I'm going to tell you, God has something for you to do with your life. And my question is, are you doing it? See, this whole idea when Pastor Mike was talking about our ministry guide and preparing for the fall, listen, we're not trying to just fill slots for Sunday school and ushers and those kind of things, but we're trying to give you an opportunity to partner together and we create a synergy together, come on, and make a difference in this world for Christ. And, 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 and we want you to find your place so you can do something great for God. Uh, I, I'm, that's why I'm doing that interest meeting at 5.30 this Wednesday right here at the church. We'll feed you dinner. Just call us, tell us you're coming. But we'll just talk about it. And I'll talk about ways and opportunities where you can do this. It is so easy to get involved and serve the Lord at our church. Uh, listen, if you're in a covenant relationship with God, if you're rightly related to God in your church, you can do anything you want to for God. If we're not doing it, we'll help you start it. I'm thrilled when people start things in ministry. Hey, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I did think about this on vacation. Uh, how many like Mexican food? Let me see your hand here. Come on. Uh, how, can you be, how can you be alive and not like Mexican food? <laughs> now, I like real Mexican food. I, 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 the Tex-Mex, I'm kind of off on. I found this primo place, and I should get a commission for referring down here. But it's the Old Springer's Barbecue in downtown area off Martin Luther King, Texas Boulevard. It's some primo Mexican food. I mean, it is great. But have you noticed if you ride down New Boston Road, how many, how many Spanish uh, businesses are popping up there? Well, what if you took four years of Spanish, come on, in high school. I was talking to a good friend about this just before we left. Took four, four years of Spanish in high school, or you just have a burden for Spanish people. What if you just kind of piled up with this lady? And I'm trying to get her to come to church every time I go, but what if you just piled up with her and one day said, Hey, can I use your restaurant one day to teach Spanish people how to speak English? Every one of them needs it to be successful. Well, guess what curriculum you'd use? The same stuff Penny Hiller, the English is a second language, Bible-based material to teach people how to speak English. And before you know it, you're, you're sitting there eating chips and dips and beans and everything else and guacamole, and people are coming to Jesus. And, and you're just loving people making disciples. You know, I, I talk to friends all the time, and we just are, are kind of angry that we live in a society now that we don't just help people, but we give handouts rather than helping people up. How many know you don't just need a hand out, you need a hand up? Yes. Well, what if that really just kind of makes you angry? I got something you can do rather than just being angry about it. What if you, if you're, listen, if you're a successful person, you have a great family, or you're a business person, or, or you just know how to make life work in America, what if you just adopted some person in our church, a family, an individual, a teenager, and say, look, uh, I, I'll be happy to help you be successful, not just give you money. But I'll teach you how to live life. If you want me to disciple you, I'll teach you character. I'll teach you how to raise your kids. I'll teach you how to be married. And I'll teach you how to start a business. Come on. I'll teach you how to be a good employee. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a powerful ministry to start? Yeah. So when we talk about serving the Lord, we're talking about across the spectrum, about things that bring fire to you, what God's created you to do, you can make a difference. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand.
Give me just a couple minutes. Let me share my conclusion now, and then we can we can we can we'll we'll dismiss. Philippians chapter three is where I'm going to close, and and let me share this last kind of a, a lesson, and it's this. I, I learned not to let anything stop me from accomplishing God's plan for my life. Let me say it again. I'm not going to let anything stop me. Even if I've gotten off track, even if I messed up, I have a resolve in my heart to finish strong. Let me show you a couple of pictures from our trip here. Uh, they'll put them on the screen real quick. Now, if you can see, this is out of Breckenridge. A neat thing, 10 miles out of town, was these wonderful hikes and walks. Uh, me, I like to walk duck hunting and turkey hunting. My wife likes to walk, for some reason, just walk up the mountain. But, but there you can see her. She's got me out of the truck there. But if you can see way in the background under the clouds, there's this brown mountain. That's brown because it's, it's above the tree line. Well, we get out of the truck, and we were about 10,000 feet, they tell us, and we decided we'd just take a walk up that road. And uh, we get up to the edge of the tree line, and I had this thought. I thought, I said, honey, let's just walk up to the top. Now, if you've ever walked up mountains, that can be one of the stupidest things you've ever said in your life because it's always farther than you think it's going to be. Come on. And a lot of times there's another mountain between the one you're trying to get on top of. But anyway, somehow she humored me, and she said, okay, we're going to do it. But uh, let's keep going here. And, and it was so high up in the air, uh, there was snow up there in June. My wife drank all the water, so I'm eating radioactive snow just to try to survive, okay? Um, uh, we kind of made it and then put the next one up. I'm a little snow bunny there. That snow there, I, 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 I'm not dead, but I did make it. And I put the last one up and just leave it up there a second. We made it to the top. Now, that may not sound like much to you, but they told us it was a 14er which is 14,000 feet. Now, now the difference between 10,000 foot and 14,000 may not sound like much. It may just sound like a few steps. But it's not steps this way. It's steps that way. And I want to tell you what. It was hard. I can't, oh, I think maybe six, seven, eight times we'd stop. And every time I look back where we rested before, and I thought, shoot, we only went 40 yards. We didn't go very far. And... and and she said, are you sure you want to go up there? <laughs> Somewhere along that trip, and here's my point. I said, honey, I think we need to go for it. Because if we don't, we'll always regret it. But if we do, we'll remember it the rest of our life. And is it just possible that God has a mountain in your life? A spiritual mountain. A calling. Something that he's created you uniquely to do. Something that at this stage of your life, you could begin to walk up that mountain, come on, and head towards what God has for you. Isn't that exactly the difference between those two couples? That first couple in Breckage Ridge lived their whole life just walking around the trees and having a good time. The second couple says, we see something yes. up, the, up the mountain here. God's told us to do something because one day we're going to stand before God and we want to hear him say, come on, well done, good and faithful servant. And isn't that what the Apostle Paul said? Paul said, there's a crown that I'm going after. There's something that I'm striving for. I forget what's behind me, and I press on to what's ahead, the high calling of God in Christ. And that's the last thing I want to share with you today. Do something with your life that matters for all eternity. Don't waste your life on stuff that's going to be gone in a little while. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Why don't you stand to your feet, and uh, I want to pray for you. And then we'll close with prayer. We'll sing a song one time and close with prayer, and, and we'll be dismissed. 
Sure hope you'll come Wednesday night, too. We have a great Wednesday night. We're doing a series by Robert Morris called The Blessed Life. But could we just stand before God a moment? And I just want to ask you this question. What has the Holy Spirit been saying to you this morning? Specifically, the prayer that I want to pray is this. What mountain has God given you to conquer? What dream do you have as a Christian? What calling is upon your life? Are you serving the Lord? Or are you just living for yourself? And I think everyone in this room today, if we're honest and we realize that one day we're going to stand before God, and it won't matter where we bought our shoes, it won't matter what kind of car we drove, it, it, won't, ma it won't matter, you know, whether we ate organic food or just junk food. What will matter is that I live for Christ fully and completely, that I do what He called me to do. And if you could just join me in an act of surrender and just slip your hands to heaven and say, Lord, I want to do your will for my life. I, I want to reach my mountain. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to get sidetracked. But I want to be the person you created me to be. I just, whatever you want to say to God, just tell him right now. For some, you might ask for forgiveness for the way you've been living. For others, you may say, Lord, I don't know what the mountain is. Why don't you show me? Well, Lord, we don't want to give up because we get tired. We don't want to give up because we're, we're out of water. We don't want to give up because we're huffing and puffing. We want to finish strong. Pastor Nick's just going to begin to sing, and I'll offer a last time for a personal prayer if you're here. Maybe there's something that in the message it really spoke to you today and you feel like you need a God moment. Maybe when I talked about worry, you've got a lot of worry, fear in your life and, and you just want to just make one more opportunity for God to, to help you with that. We'll pray for you. Maybe you don't have a clue what God's called you to do with your life, but you sure want to know. I can't think of a better way to seal this message is coming and praying with someone and saying, I, I want God to show me. There's something about movement towards an altar that can change things in your heart. But maybe you're here today, and, mo and we'll pray for anything, but maybe you're here today, and, and, and the most important thing you're here for today is you need to get right with God. You need to get saved. You, you need to receive forgiveness of sins. It's eternal life that you're needing in your life, and you know it, and you want somebody to pray for you. You want to get your life right with God. Whatever the case is, we're honored to pray today. Our prayer team is going to come right now. We'll sing one song and dismiss. But guys, come on up. Ladies, come on up. We're going to pray for people. And if you need prayer for any of these things, if you feel that kind of nut tug in your heart, you come let us pray for you today, and we'll believe God will do something special for you. God bless you. I love you.